guys, Bill here. Before we get started today, today is Giving Tuesday, a global day of giving. And it's also the first day of ESPN's V-Week. We can all be a part of something big today by supporting cancer research, which is needed now more than ever. If you're able, give now at v.org slash donate. 100% of what you give goes directly to cancer research. So a great cause, of course, something near and dear to our hearts at ESPN. So you can go donate if you're able. That would be really appreciated. Again, it's v.org slash donate. And today, guys, on the Bill Barnwell Show, presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app, we're going to talk to Lindsey Jones of The Athletic about the Broncos fiasco of the last week, what happened, everything that went down, uh, the below by low details, what the playbook looked like, really lots of fascinating stuff from Lindsey. We're going to talk about the Steelers-Ravens game, which still has somehow not happened. Before we get to that, I wanted to quickly tell you guys about another ESPN podcast hosted by my friend Mina Kimes, and it's called the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. Mina talks all things football every week with her unique brand of humor and insight. And I don't know. I mean, this is someone who won a million dollars for her friend David Chang on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire in the past week. So you might get some pretty useful trivia tips if you listen to the show as well. So go download and subscribe to Mina and her dog Lenny, as well as the Bill Barnwell Show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever get your podcasts. And now here's the show with Lindsay Jones talking all things COVID in the NFL. All right, we'll get back to our show with Lindsay here in a moment. But first, this podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There is no competition and right now get five dollars off any eight corner pizza with code eight save that's the number eight s-a-v-e go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a jets pizza location near you again try jet signature eight corner pizza and get five dollars off with code eight save that's number eight s-a-v-e jets pizza better because it has to be All right, now, as promised here on the Bill Barnwell Show, when this Broncos story broke, the first person I thought of was the Athletics Lindsey Jones, who covered the Broncos for years, now covers the NFL as a whole for the Athletic. And fortunately for me, not only was Lindsey able to appear on the show today, but also wrote an article on this very topic, breaking down what happened with the Denver Broncos. Joining me to talk about that and all things COVID, when it comes to the NFL, which is a big topic these days, is our friend Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how are you? I'm good, Bill. Thanks for having me back on the show. As you said, when I asked you, fun topic, fun times to talk <laughs> about when it comes to the NFL. So let me ask you this, but let me start from the beginning here with this Broncos story. So when you first heard about what was going to happen, I believe on Saturday afternoon, what were your initial thoughts? Well, at first I was like, this can't actually be happening, right? <laughs> There's got to be some sort of mistake. There's going to be some sort of contingency that one of these guys is going to be cleared. But I believe my first reaction was like, all right, let's, let's see this no quarterback offense, but also a little bit of like disbelief. But the way that 2020 has gone, the way that the NFL has been enforcing its protocols and sticking to the letter of their memos and all this sort of stuff, like I'm not surprised that they made the Broncos play this way um 
but it was bizarre. And, you know, I've, I've been covering the NFL since 2008 and I live in Denver. Most of that time I've been covering the Broncos a lot. You know, I saw every minute of the Tim Tebow era, a lot of bizarre stuff has happened around this team. And I'm not sure there was a crazier 24 hours than what happened last weekend from the quarterbacks being ruled ineligible to Kendall Hinton's promotion through whatever that was that they put on the field on Sunday against the Saints. I love that. The Broncos lose all their quarterbacks. And the only thing you can think of, or the most the most relatable thing you can think of when it comes to that is the Tim Tebow era, where there was a quarterback, but not really a quarterback. That was Yeah, I mean what I my initial thought was, well, I do remember the Broncos winning a game one time where they only completed two passes. So <laughs> it's not like we haven't seen that before. And look, this was Jason Hill was the other starting quarterback in this game who Reminds me a lot of Tim Tebow and mm-hmm. the, the, the Taysom Hill experiment and the offense that they're putting together for him. Um, you know, and honestly, the offense that the Saints brought out, they rolled out when they kind of refigured their game plan, knowing that they probably weren't going to have to score a lot of points. It reminded me a lot of what the Broncos would do back in late 2010 and throughout part of, you know, most of that 2011 mm-hmm. season. It was very, very familiar to me. But yeah, it was... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was bizarre. It was very jarring, to say the least. I was at the game at Mile High mm-hmm. watching whatever that was, and I had Chiefs Bucks on my laptop pulled up on Sunday ticket. And it was it was like we were watching two completely different sports. I mean, one of these those games must, might as well have been played on Mars because it was completely different <laughs> watching Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill, what they were doing in the first half compared to what I was watching on the field where I think at one point, I think at the two minute warning, there was negative nine net passing yards in that Broncos Saints game. Being a quarterback is hard. I think is what we've yes. said. With, with no practice as Kendall Hinton did. I don't want to criticize him whatsoever. I don't know if anyone really is. No, not at all. I, I yeah. think everyone has been like, everyone's kind of on the same page or everyone's kind of like, you did good. You're not the problem here. You did the best you could. And all things considered, did a reasonable job. It's just the circumstances that led to you being in the position you are in are ridiculous and crazy. And so you wrote about this at great length for The Athletic. And I wanted to ask you, can you just lay out sort of a timeline of events that led to Saturday? So from the beginning of the week, what happened in Denver to cause this? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of lessons for around the league that can mm-hmm. be applied, you know, that, that other teams should take from what happened here because um, it wasn't a ton of stuff that was really out of the ordinary. It's, you know, it was kind of a normal, you know, normal in air quotes because nothing is normal. Yes. But um, on Tuesday, which is the player off day, um, Drew Locke, the starting quarterback, you know, kind of organized a uh, informal film watching film watching mm-hmm. session. So that was with Jeff Driscoll, Brett Rippon. And Blake Bortles, Blake Bortles is their quarterback who's on the practice squad. And they said, all right, the afternoon, let's all go. We'll go hang out in the quarterback's room. We'll watch film for a couple hours. Um, And so that's what they did. And they would be prohibited from meeting off campus. Um, The NFL COVID protocols very clearly, um, as of late September, early October, very clearly states that players are not allowed to gather outside of the facility. So they, they thought that they were in the clear, you know, the, Broncos had been given permission to hold quarterback meetings in this multi-purpose room inside their field house. It's bigger than a regular classroom, but it's not 
a large room. It's not like they were sitting out on the, the turf field inside their field house by any means. But so during this film session, um, according to people who saw the video, uh, the, the surveillance video from inside that room, they were there for about two hours. They were pretty inconsistent with wearing their masks during that time they were eating. Um, they also were not wearing their con- connects on tracking devices. Those are those little like tags that all NFL players and team employees have to wear whenever they're inside the building. Mm-hmm. That's how the, the NFL collects their data for contact tracing. They figure out who has been in, um, who has been in contact and for how long, you know, they, right. that data is automatically uploaded, all this sort of stuff. They were not wearing those devices. So this is Tuesday. They, they all come back to work on Wednesday. They go through their regular, you know, they go through a regular practice on Wednesday, mm-hmm. all four of these guys together. Thursday morning, Jeff Driscoll, who's technically their number three quarterback, he learns that he tested positive for the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And they immediately then start the contact tracing process. Well, one, they don't have the contact tracing data from the Connect mm-hmm. devices from Tuesday because the guys weren't wearing them. Mm-hmm. And the other quarterbacks were not forthright in their interactions with each other. You know, if they were asked, did you, you know, how much time did you spend around Jeff? And they'd say, oh, not that much. Or, you know, were every time we were around him, were you wearing your mask? And they said, yes, of course we were wearing our mask. Well, so they're initially cleared. You know, they, they say, okay, you're not high risk, close contacts. All those guys, um, you know, they're not ruled out. They're determined to be close contacts, but not the high risk, close contacts. Mm-hmm. And the, the distinguishing or the, the difference there is that if you're determined to be a high risk close contact, um, you, there's a mandatory five day isolation period there mm-hmm. where your clock starts the day after your potential exposure. You have five days. You have to return a negative test each of those days and then you can be cleared. We've seen this happen all over the league, right? I mean, we sure. have the entire week where the, the, the entire uh, Las Vegas Raiders offensive line yes. were determined to be high risk close contacts. Um, a bunch of Raiders defensive starters have gone through this. There's a whole bunch of guys on the Ravens list currently that are determined to be the high risk close contacts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that should have been the end of it, right? Okay. They're not determined to be high risk close contacts. Well, at some point on Thursday, the, the Broncos believe the NFLPA got a tip basically said somebody who else, somebody else who's in the field house on Tuesday mm-hmm. said, you probably need to look at the surveillance video. Uh, there's reason to believe that what the video is going to show is not going to line up with the statements that these guys gave. And uh, so, you know, the Broncos pulled the video. It's a couple hours worth of video. They send that off to the NFL for review. Um, and then they wait. And sure enough, the, the video showed that there was inconsistent mask use, that they were lax on those protocols and how closely they were adhering to that. And um, so Broncos, they closed their facility on Friday, abundance and caution. They, they did everything virtually. They didn't actually practice. Um, But Saturday they come back to the facility. They're going through a walkthrough. The guys are out all out on the field when they're one of their compliance guys gets a call from the league office. Mm -hmm. That call says, you got to pull all the quarterbacks off right now. They got to get out of the building. We're going to, we got to keep looking into this. So lock, Bortles and Rippon all get pulled off the field. They get sent home. At this point, Broncos coaches still think it's precautionary. They sure. still think it's just like they have to work through something. So they go through the rest of the walkthrough, um, you know, their last kind of walkthrough in preparation for Sunday's game and without a quarterback, but they, you know, they kind of go through this, just a walkthrough day before a game type of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And then within a couple hours, they get the official word that all of the quarterbacks are ruled out. So that's really kind of how this timeline goes. But by now we're to Saturday afternoon, you know, we're the middle of Saturday afternoon, you know, three, four o'clock when they're officially ruled out and kickoff of Sunday's game is that uh, like 2.15 or 2.05 local time. So yes. we're less than 24 hours here and they're figuring out what exactly is our quarterback situation going to look like. What a interesting turn of events because it sounds like if there had not been a whistleblower in the organization, presumably, who called the NFL and said, hey, double check that video, the Broncos probably would not have had to deal with this issue, no? That is my understanding of the situation because they were initially cleared. They were initially determined to be just close contacts, you know, as most quarterbacks would be within a quarterback group. Um, But then the the video evidence and that review, and I believe the fact that there were the inconsistencies there probably helped the NFL make their decision mm-hmm. there as well. But yeah, I mean, I, it, it could, it's it very easily could have ended there. And it's definitely something to consider now or to think about with these other situations and how closely now they're looking at various evidence for um, future contact tracing. I mean, you're someone who's covered the league, like you said, since 2008, you're particularly familiar with the Broncos, but you covered all of the NFL and, you know a lot of different people within a lot of different organizations. Are are you surprised that somebody within the Broncos organization or, or someone who had access to this footage would contact the NFL? It almost seems like, you know, there are organizations where you would picture a culture of saying, hey, if this happens, don't tell the NFL because these are what the consequences would be. And I mean, do you think there's people from the Broncos organization who feel like this whistleblower did the wrong thing by reporting this to the NFL? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question because, yeah, I mean, you, it put the team in a really bad place, right? I mean, they had to play a game, but they went into that game now not having a chance. And we saw the way that the Saints offense played. Like, they would have had a chance if Drew Locke was mm-hmm. playing quarterback there. So, it you know, it really is an interesting dynamic and an interesting question. But, you know, I think there are a lot of people within organizations across the league, not just not just in Denver, but that are, you know, understanding that kind of everybody needs to be following the same sort of rules. And this is not an organization that has been immune from COVID cases. I mean, they've had a number of players, a number of coaches, John Elway, their, you know, their general manager and Joe Ellis, who is their the guy who basically is their one basically their acting owner. I mean, he's part of the trust, one of the trustees, but he's the one who goes to the owner's meetings, that sort of thing. He also had COVID. Um, their defensive coordinator at Donatel was hospitalized with COVID. Mm-hmm. So I think there is an understanding of how serious this is and what the case numbers look like in Denver, which have been very bad, you know, just like they are in most places in the country right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see what comes of this after, but I hope that whoever this was that, you know, said, hey, there was there was just something to miss and you should check it out, that they are not, um, they don't face any sort of retribution. Mm-hmm. So Kendall Hinton comes in, goes one of nine or two picks, does his best. His best was not especially all that great. But again, you don't want to criticize Kendall Hinton. He's not the problem here. Is it true the Broncos wanted to start a coach at quarterback? <laughs> it's true that they asked if it would be possible. I don't think it's super realistic that they actually would have been able to go through with it. 
Um, I don't think Vic Fangio would have actually had that happen, but they did ask. They wanted to see if it would have been possible. So Rob Calabrese is their um, offensive quality control coach, and he was a quarterback at University of Central Florida in the early 2000s, I believe, you know, the 2012-ish. Mm-hmm. So look, he's played quarterback um, in the, it, it, you know, division one level. It's been quite a while. Um, he didn't necessarily have extensively more quarterback experience than Kendall, Kendall Hinton did, who played quarterback. Um, I think he had 14 starts at Wake Forest at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier in his career, he ended up converting to wide receiver for his, um, his final two seasons or so uh, in Wake Forest. But look, I mean, was it just last year that Matt LaFleur and Matt Patricia both like tore their Achilles just like walking around practice? I mean, we can only imagine what would happen to a, you know, 28 to 30 ish year old man trying to get chased by if he was chased by Cam Jordan. Right. I think we all would probably die. So, um, I mean, I don't think it was ever a realistic option, but they did inquire about it. I mean, Rob Calabrese uh, was at UCF with Blake Bortles. So, you know, there could have been some kind of synergy there, I suppose, uh, with Blake Bortles. Yeah, there's a lot of dots to connect. A lot of dots to connect. I mean, the fact that Blake Bortles is is the practice squad quarterback is like a whole separate issue. And why, if you're going to have him there, he hasn't actually been quarantined. I, you know, I, could, I feel like I could spend a lot of time unpacking the Blake Bortles situation. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Well, I, I think that's a fair question, though. No, I mean, we've heard about teams. I think the Bills with Jake Fromm are an example uh, of teams who have basically been quarantining a quarterback where that guy will not go into in-person meetings when they were happening. He was just on Zoom meetings with the other quarterbacks. He doesn't practice with the team. He shows up at the end of practice, uh, according to Chris Mortensen, and does some drills with a um, a sort of selected group of practice squad players. He's basically kept separate in case what happens to the Broncos happens. And obviously, I don't think the Broncos expected all of their quarterbacks to be caught without masks on and have to quarantine, but... Do you think the Broncos should have at least considered this as a possibility and prepare for the possibility by having one of their quarterbacks separate from the team? Yeah, I mean, I think they everybody should have maybe more actively considered it. You know, it was something it was it was, it was a storyline through the offseason. I think Bruce Arians was the first one who floated it as something that might be possible, and we all kind of had like a little bit of a chuckle about it. But you know, it did end up mattering right I mean it mattered in this game and I think other teams would be wise to do probably do the same um it's I would I believe there are more teams that are not quarantining a quarterback than that actually are there's only a handful of them um you know the, the Eagles were one who were quarantining a quarterback in a most extreme way when they had Josh McCown on their practice squad and he was living near Houston mm-hmm. and was participating in their zoom meetings I had a lot of questions about how they would actually the logistics of if they needed him because mm-hmm. he wasn't in the build, you know, he wasn't actively in their like testing protocol mm-hmm. where, he, you know, you can't just bring a guy in off the street like he normally would in a normal year. So now there's some questions about the logistics of, you know, if you needed him Saturday afternoon, for example, if that would have actually been possible. Um, but look, I mean, now this, this, it's a, it's a realistic issue. And I think other teams need to look at doing the same. Um, Vic Fangio was asked, 
his plan was going to change if he would quarantine a quarterback. Um, he was asked about that on Monday afternoon, and he he said that they didn't have immediate plans to do so, and that if everybody followed the protocols, they would be fine. Um, later that afternoon, they did sign Kyle Shermer, who is a former college quarterback at Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, he's been on practice squads in the NFL, most recently with um, Kansas City last year. And obviously, he is Pat Shermer, the Broncos offensive coordinator's son. So they did sign him to the roster yesterday. He's got to pass through all of the COVID protocols before he can actively be either in their building or officially on their roster. But um, so, you know, they, they, in theory, could quarantine him now. I felt like it was a little bit more of like a contingency plan if let's say Locke, Rippon, or Bortles were to test positive or all three of them were to test positive and they would need a quarterback next week against the Chiefs who and they needed somebody other than Kendall Hinton. So I you know it's it's an interesting and kind of complicated situation. I mean I think the one thing that the NFL keeps kind of coming back to is that Mm -hmm. as everything has been a mess this year and I mean that as cases are rising and all of this stuff there's been no documented cases of on-field transmission, um, you know, between teams or something that has happened actually like on the field. You know, there's not, we're not seeing offensive linemen give it to defensive linemen in the course of a practice or a game. Whenever we have seen spread within a team, it's mm-hmm. come from meetings, uh, weight room, sideline interactions. And so there's a little bit that Vic Fangio is right. That was like, look, if, if they hadn't been gathering together to, to have a meeting in person and not wearing their masks or whatever, um, this wouldn't have happened. And I, I'm going to be very curious if the next step for the NFL, you know, they, they put all of the teams into these intensive protocols um, mm-hmm. after week 11, I believe. So, yeah. I, I, I don't know what week we're in because we're, it hasn't <laughs> finished yet. Right. <laughs> so, like, I guess we're in week 13, but we're still kind of in week 12. Yes. Um, but there have been allowances. Teams could submit proposals to say, hey, we want to have, I want to have, like the Broncos did, we want to have our quarterbacks meeting in this multi-purpose room. Here's the square footage and the ventilation and all that sort of stuff. And they have that approved. But the players getting together on their off day there to hang out and spend several hours together, that's completely against the spirit of these intensive protocols. So I would not be surprised if the next step from the NFL is to say, under no circumstances will there be in-person meetings. All meetings, whether those are players only, staff, coaches, personnel, there will be no meetings. Even if you're the Los Angeles Rams and you have a 20,000 foot, uh, 20,000 square foot outdoor tent that the, like the Rams do, no more in-person meetings to try to head off any future situations like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's plausible it's gonna to be tough to enforce i mean especially outside of the facility because they don't you know you don't have players or, or players are sorry to be clear they're not wearing their player tracking um devices outside of the facility are they no those are just for inside the building right. they couldn't um there were you know and i i, I talked to um folks at the league office and mm-hmm people who are deal with those devices early in the year when they first or in the preseason about some of those questions and they couldn't legally have them wear them at all times. There become a lot of um, kind of ethical questions about, you know, where you are at all times and who you're in close contact with. And they only work if you're around another person who's wearing Mm -hmm. one. So, you know, they weren't going to, you know, make all of the family members or nannies or whoever it is wear these devices also. So Mm -hmm. they only work if you're in, in the building and you're required to wear them when you're in the building. And some of these other places that we've seen 
protocol breakdowns, whether that's Tennessee, Baltimore, um, Las Vegas, there have been issues with inconsistent use of these tracking devices. And that's something that is considered a violation of protocols and teams will get punished for. I have one question about the game itself. Uh, and then I want to talk about sort of the punishment issue. In terms of what the Broncos were actually doing on offense during this game, what did their playbook look like on such short notice for Kendall Hinton and the Broncos offense? Yeah, so they, um, you know, they they started having these meetings, you know, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. They're at their team hotel. And it's, you know, so it's Kendall Hinton. It's um, uh, Shula, their quarterback's coach. It's Pat Shermer. Um, and then it's also Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, who, you know, two of their running backs. It's basically those guys figuring out, okay, we're going to run Wildcats. That's basically all we're going to do. They put in a couple passing, passing packages, but they just figured that we're going to do wildcat as much as we can. Um, they started out the game really on this rotation of Philip Lindsay taking direct snaps, Roy Freeman taking some direct snaps, mm-hmm. and then they would bring Hint- Kendall Hinton in for some third downs. But they got into like almost all third and longs, like they were like third and eight, third and nine, third and twelve, and it's like, you know. Look, the Broncos offense ends up in third and longs a lot, no matter who their quarterback is. Mm-hmm. But it was a, you know, I would feel a little bit better with Drew Locke in a third and eleven than I did with a guy who's never played in the NFL before. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really this, um, you know, at, at first it was like, can we just confuse the Saints? Can we just, you know, do enough to, you know, cycle different people in and out of the huddle? Um, you know, really try to kind of stretch the edges a bit. Get, mm-hmm. You know, we know how dynamic. Philip Lindsay is right. And they, you know, on that first drive, I think he broke off like a 14 yard run and you had a moment that you're like, eh, maybe they'll be able to, you know, get into field goal range or, you know, move the ball a little bit. And then very quickly at all kind of, you know, you realize it just wasn't going to be a functional, a functional offense. And they're also playing against one of the NFL's best defenses. I mean, it, it would have been a lot easier for, I mean, maybe not a lot easier, but it would have been a bit easier had this game been against like, Cincinnati Bengals or the Dallas Cowboys, but they were lining up playing Cam Jordan, Marcus Davenport, and you know they weren't going to pass much. But the first pass that uh, Kendall Hinton attempted, he threw against Mar- uh, Marshawn Lattimore, which felt like maybe not the best, maybe not the decision that I would have made or the guy would have got it would have targeted early. But but yeah, I mean it was it was really an impossible situation and. This is not to fault Kendall Hinton at all, because can you, I mean, can you imagine that situation? Not only had he never played in the NFL, he had never taken snaps mm-hmm. at quarterback. I mean, he was, he was signed to the Broncos practice squad on November 4th. So he hadn't even been here a month, you know, practicing with the team. And he was doing all of his work as a scout team wide receiver and doing a lot of special teams work. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, working on catching punts, doing a lot of, you know, special teams coverage. And, uh, you know, just last week, actually, he texted a picture of himself catching a punt in practice. He texted that picture to Dave Clawson, his coach at Wake Forest, to say, like, hey, coach, like, thanks for, like, making me work on special teams because mm-hmm. look what I'm doing now here with the Broncos and figured that would be his path mm-hmm. to at some point getting on the active roster. And so it was just it was really an impossible situation and um, just a ton of respect for him, the way that he handled it, his poise, um, his teammates you know, really supported him a lot. You know, I think around the league, he was getting a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Saints guys were like tipping their caps to him and just understanding how difficult this is because 
I mean, I think you can make the argument, right, that playing quarterback in the NFL is probably the single most difficult position in all of professional sports. Mm -hmm. And he was asked to do that on 24 hours notice without any practice time. I mean, that's impossible. And um, it's going to be a hell of a story that he's going to be able to tell for the rest of his life. And, you know, hopefully the the final score, the final stats don't diminish just exactly what it was that he was asked to do. And, and you know, he put, he put forth a good effort. It just, you know, it was just way too difficult. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was not great. Uh, if we're being honest, but he, you know, he was, I think, 0 of 7 in the first half, 1 of 2 in the, in the second half. There are actual NFL quarterbacks who have, you know, been quarterbacks in college, drafted to play quarterback, gotten reps with the number ones, played, you know, played as an actual NFL quarterback who have had similarly bad games. It's not like he was so much worse than your Nathan Petermans of the world or a really bad game from Jake DeLome or even a Tim Tebow. I mean, like he was not great, but against a very tough defense with one day notice, he was just kind of a little bad. And that's incredible. I, I think that's one of the most impressive things we've seen all season. And I hope that he gets opportunities, whether it be with the Broncos this year or down the line in the years to come, at his actual position now of wide receiver or in special teams to have an NFL career because. If this is it for him, then obviously, you know, hey, you got to start an NFL game. You're going to be, some people are going to remember 25 years from now, uh, that one game that Kendall Hinton started. But at the same time, I think it's also, you know, hopefully giving him a little bit of recognition and having shown that he did, uh, he'll get an opportunity to play more meaningfully at a position where he has perhaps the possibility of launching a long-term NFL career. All right, we'll get back to our show with Lindsay here in a moment. But first, um, Here's what I want to bring up because I I have the actual text here of the memo from Roger Goodell that he sent out earlier this year. And I'm going to read the quote and then I'm going to ask you about the Broncos situation with this game. Quote unquote, if a game is postponed due to one club's inability to play because of COVID cases, the burden of any competitive, financial and other consequences will fall, fall more heavily on that club, particularly if the club has not adhered to the health and safety protocols or has failed to cooperate in contact tracing or other reviews in response to positive tests among club players or staff, end quote. So the Broncos reportedly wanted to push this game back to Monday. It was denied. Broncos obviously lost. It's not a competitive game. Broncos fans, at least the ones I've seen, I'm sure you are very, you're very aware of what's happening in Denver. Um, Broncos fans are upset. They're saying, Hey, the Ravens were able to get their game delayed three different times. The Broncos were not. So given the terms laid out by Roger Goodell about this exact situation, do you think the Broncos were treated unfairly by the NFL? I mean, I think it was an unfair game, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't think that they were, they were treated unfairly. Um, I know there's a lot of people who believe that. I, I mean, I don't know if it's fair, if any of this is fair. None of right. this is fair, right? Is there anything that's happening this season that's fair? No. But under the terms that have been laid out, the rules that have been established, the hundreds of pages of memos that have been sent, the words that have been spoken, what they've talked about at owners' meetings, all of this stuff, they operated under those rules. And 
it bit the Broncos. And if it wasn't the Broncos, it was going to be somebody at some point. And I see, we see this around the league. And when you cover the league at large, like you and I both do, you kind of take a little bit more of like a 30,000 foot view and look at what's happening in every team. And the Niners believe that they have been treated unfairly. They believe that they were treated unfairly with that Thursday night game when they had to play without all of their wide receivers and they got blown out by the Packers, who were also missing almost an entire position group because of positive test or contact tracing. They didn't have their, their running backs. The Niners didn't have their wide receivers. Yeah. Now the Niners are having to go on the road for basically the rest of the season. I mean, they're relocating to Arizona for three weeks and playing two home games um, at the Cardinals' home stadium. So you could argue that that's unfair. The Steelers definitely have a case to say that they've been jerked around and treated unfairly. Um, the rate, you know, I know Raiders fans feel persecuted. I know the Saints believe that they've been treated unfairly. You know, those are the two teams that have been fined the most and also have been docked draft picks. So, you know, I think there's a lot of teams who can say we're be, we've we've been unduly burdened or we haven't been given a chance, all of those sorts of things. But I also kind of look at it and like, this was very clearly lined out. And if, and if they had pushed this game back a couple days mm-hmm. based on strictly these roster issues, they would have every single team now that had contact tracing issues and had guys that had been pulled out, you know, for the five days, you know, could the Browns call and say, push our game back. Miles Garrett is on the COVID list mm-hmm. or, you know, you could argue that he's Miles Garrett is just important to the Browns and Drew Locke is to the Broncos, right? Sure. Um, so I just think it was it would have been setting up a really dangerous precedent for having to evaluate every single case now of make you know, a teams would be able to make the case that they were being treated unfairly. Mm-hmm. I think you could make a different health and safety argument that how safe is it to go out and play with a quarterback who has not taken a single snap mm-hmm. um, that maybe they could have. And if they had pushed the game to Monday, those quarterbacks still wouldn't have been eligible. Right. They're not, they weren't cleared to return to the roster till Tuesday. So if they had, and they did ask, could you push it? I mean, ideally they wanted it pushed till Tuesday, but if yeah. they pushed it till Monday, that would have allowed them to go through one practice with Kendall Hinton taking some snaps from Lloyd Cushenberry. So that the first time he wasn't, handling snaps was during pregame warmups. You know, um, I think that's maybe a reasonable argument, but um, pushing the game for a couple days just to let these other guys finish their isolation period and return all of their negative tests, that really goes against all of the terms that had been laid out, had been agreed, you know, had been voted on by league ownership. All 32 owners agreed to this. The NFLPA signed off on pretty much all of this. And, yeah, it's. T- I mean, I just think that everybody is getting at some point. Every team this year is going to get screwed, for lack of a better term, right? I mean, can I say that on your podcast? I don't know. I think you can. Yes. Now, okay. <laughs> I I agree. I think that's true. But given that everybody knew this would be a weird season, and that teams would have to be flexible with their scheduling, thinking about the Ravens Steelers game, that one outstanding game from Week Twelve. This game was supposed to happen on Thursday evening of last week with the Ravens as three and a half point underdogs. This game is not taking place Wednesday at 3.40 in the afternoon Eastern. Classic football window for the NFL. I'm so excited for Wednesday lunchtime football. It's going to be lunchtime here in Denver, right? I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. It's great. 
I'm really excited too. I'm afraid it's going to become a trend. I don't want to encourage the NFL. I like having some afternoons free, but one as a one-off, I'll be entertained by it. But the Ravens are playing a week later almost. They are 10-point underdogs. That is how dramatically they have been hit by the coronavirus. So number one, can you believe this game is actually still being played this week? And number two, do you think the circumstances surrounding this particular game, for both the Ravens and the Steelers, I guess, go beyond those sort of expectations of, oh, everyone's getting screwed? Yeah, I mean, I think there are some very real very real health and safety concerns that are going on with this game, um, certainly from the, from the Ravens side. And I understand, I mean, there have been reports over the last couple of days that Ravens players have been concerned about one flying when they are still there still might some, be some question about who could potentially be infected and not have tested positive yet. But then also just the fact that you're going to go out and play without really practicing. Like they were going to hold, I think they were able to hold one walkthrough and maybe kind of one kind of practice before getting on a plane and flying to Pittsburgh on Tuesday night. And that's a pretty long layoff. I mean, they were not able to practice if it all of last week. So, you know, you're going 10 days plus really. I mean, they haven't practiced since, their last game, which now feels so long ago that I can't even remember who it was that they played. Was that when they played the Titans? Was that their last? It was the it Titans, was, right? It was either Tennessee or the It wasn't the Patriots game. That was earlier. No, it was the, it was the Titans game because we had Harbaugh and um, Harbaugh and Mike Rabel jawing at each other yes, pre-game. That was um, November 22nd. It was only fitting, I guess, that it was those two teams that last played. But that's mm. a really long time. And so I do understand that there, you know, why there are concerns there. There is, of course, precedent that this is what the Titans basically had to do, where, you know, when the Titans had their outbreak, that, you know, their building was closed, they had very little practice time, you know, they were, they were not able to, you know, really work back into football shape before they had to go to Buffalo and play, uh, or I guess they hosted that game, but before they had to play the Bills, Mm -hmm. which that was a Tuesday night game. That was the Tuesday night game that we got, right? Um, It feels so long ago, but so I, you know, I think there are some, you know, some significant questions there about what this team is going to look like. You know, the the league and the PA did agree on a lot of rules, you know, different roster rules, you know, the, the practice squads were expanded to 16 players. They have, you know, basically unlimited number of times that you're able to call players up off the practice squad to be to serve as COVID replacements, then they immediately revert back to the practice squad after the game. They're able to sign veteran guys to a practice squad, which is why guys like Blake Bortles and Des Bryant have been on practice squads this year. Um, mm-hmm. Josh McCown, you know, 40-year-old Josh McCown was on a practice squad this year. So, you know, this was the first time or like the biggest test of those rules because while the Ravens, because of this long delay, have been able to get a couple of the guys back, um, including Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins, who were kind of the first players to end up, you know, mm-hmm. to test positive and end up on the list. It's been so long that they're actually going to be able to play in this game on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. They are still going to be without a significant number of players, you know, yes. including Lamar Jackson, obviously the most important player. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's totally, it's going to be difficult. Um, and it doesn't make it a competitive, yeah, I, you know, I don't think it makes them competitive in that game. Um, and maybe that's the one thing that the Steelers can, can take out of this when they certainly have been jerked around, you know, they lost another kind of bye week or it would have been a mini bye week. Um, they are playing a greatly diminished team. Sure. I mean, it, it's been a really fascinating thing for the Steelers because 
they're also undefeated. You know, it's not as if this is yeah. them where we've had a week where we said, okay, well, that lack of rest finally got to them. They've been able to overcome that. So I, I'm intrigued to see how this might benefit the Steelers in the long term. Um, one press release sent out, or one press release that the NFL sent out, the one to announce the game being moved to Tuesday before it was moved again to Wednesday. In the press release, the NFL said, quote unquote, we are acting out of a abundance of caution. Do you think that is fair given how they've acted uh, over the course of the last week with this game? Well, I, I think they're acting out of an abundance of COVID caution, right? I mean, I think all of these decisions are being made based on who is positive right now. Is the virus still being transmitted within a team? Have they isolated the cases? I think it's just a very narrow look at what is caution mm-hmm. um, and not a broader look at like, well, are we subjecting these guys to more Achilles injuries or, you know, what's going to happen because they haven't practiced or the fact that we're going to be having, you know, you, you may have some offensive linemen who have never played in an NFL game lining up against TJ Watt, you know, those sorts of abundance of caution. I'm not sure if those decisions are going into it. You know, I guess my one just, you know, lingering question out there is why the league has been, why they've been so reluctant to just either just trigger that week 18 option and mm-hmm. just say, okay, let's do this. Or, you know, at some point just press pause for a week. And, you know, I, I thought there was cause that they could have done that and maybe should have done that back um, in early October when the Titans um, the Titans outbreak was, was like really still ramping up mm-hmm. and the Patriots were going through their situation. The Patriots traveled, which, you know, I think it's, you want to criticize some of the moves that the league has made. I think playing that Monday night game um, in Kansas City, the Patriots Chiefs game right after uh, Cam Newton tested positive. I think that was a mistake. Stephon Gilmore ended up testing positive immediately after that game. Mm-hmm. Then they had to push the next week's game. I think that was a mistake. And I think they learned a lot. Um, from that game I it's you know but why have they I I just don't know why they're so reluctant to use that week 18 option because if they weren't going to use it in this situation where this is a game that matters they 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 have talked about how it's so important like the games that that are the impactful games and this Mm -hmm. game is going to impact the playoffs because one the Steelers you know they desperately want to keep that number one seed they don't want the Chiefs to end up catching them and having you know getting that one seed and the Ravens are right. I mean, well, right now, if the playoffs started today, they wouldn't be in it, but they're going to be right in the middle of that AFC wildcard race for the rest of the season. So this game matters. It's not like this is, you know, I'm trying to think of a, you know, Bengals Jets type of game, right? Where while that would matter for draft pick rankings or whatever, but it wouldn't matter for the overall outcome of this season. Mm-hmm. You could cancel that game. You could just postpone it, put a, put a TBD on it. Um, this is an impactful game and it matters to both teams. It matters to the whole league. So you'd think you'd want to put it in the best situation. And then when they do keep doing all these other movements, it's not happening in a vacuum. There's so many other dominoes that have to fall. And now it's, it's not just a week 12 problem. It's a week 13 problem now where, you know, we're going to have all these games on next Monday night because the one Thursday night game already got moved. And then, um, Pittsburgh's next game, their game against Washington, has gotten moved off of Sunday. So it's it's really hard. I don't envy the position that the schedule makers are in, Mm -hmm. but I just wonder at what point they're just going to say, let's just go to week 18. Let's give ourselves the flexibility and 
not keep having to put so many teams kind of through the ringer here just to get some of these regular season games on, you know, happening within the week that they're supposed to happen. Yeah, those are going to be my next two questions, actually. Um, because people keep asking me, and I have my answer, but I'm not confident my answer is accurate because I don't think it makes much sense. The idea that, number one, why isn't the league pushing games back to a week 18? And number two, if this game wasn't a reason to do this, what would it take to make a week 18 game happen? And my stock answer has always been basically that the league does not want to move the date of the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. And they have, you know, flights booked and hotels booked and infrastructure and all this stuff. It doesn't matter. But number one, that matters less because we're in an era of COVID. And so it's not as if, you know, there's tons of conferences happening in Tampa. Like you could move the date a week and it wouldn't be the end of the world. And number two, you still have that week uh, off between the conference championships and the Super Bowl. You have yeah. that week to work with. So week 18 isn't the issue. It's the possibility of a week 19 that would really concern the NFL and force them to move that game, move the Super Bowl a week back. But I, I just don't understand what it is. Because if, if it's not the Super Bowl argument, what else could it really be? Yeah, and I, you know, I think there is a bit of, like messaging in it sure. too of like they are so determined to like we are going to do this we can do this we don't have to have all these disruptions our protocols are going to hold up um you know that kind of that feeling that we can get this done even though they did i mean at the last owners meetings i guess that was november and all my dates now are getting jumbled up here but at some point in november there was they you know they voted on this and they gave they formally gave themselves that option to complete the 256 game schedule um, or slate within 18 weeks instead of 17 weeks. So they're just so reluctant to pull it because I think once they know that they've done that, then they're not, they're going to be out of all of their options. Mm -hmm. And, you know, clearly they would rather reschedule, you know, multiple games within one week than push anything to that week 18. And, you know, I, I think there might be a bit of just concern that, once they do it and they start filling up, you know, once the Steelers and Ravens have a game put into week 18, if, if the Ravens situation isn't resolved, if there's another outbreak or now the Patriots, now the Steelers have their own outbreak or something, they need another game, then you don't have any other options. Um, but I don't know. They're, they're, a bit of it feels just stubborn to me. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like they're afraid to do it. I just think they're kind of stubborn and saying, we can make this happen. We can get this done within this framework. And, you know, how wise is that? How responsible is that? I'm not sure, you know, but they're going to, they're, they're determined to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a league that almost takes pride in how little it's affected by the outside world. Yeah. But like, you can't pretend that this league has not been impacted by COVID. I mean, we just saw a game where, you know, a guy who was not even a college quarterback very long was the quarterback for a team in a game that could end up impacting the playoff seating in the NFC. I mean, I, I don't think you can pretend that it's not being impacted already. So this sort of arbitrary distinction of, oh, as long as we get 256 done by Sunday night of week 17, we've accomplished something. Like you can do that in the process. You're really compromising what we're seeing during some of these weeks, especially this week as sort of the most significant example. I mean, it was entertaining, but I think entertaining in a way that was a little embarrassing to the league at the same time. Yes, 
Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, I think it was embarrassing in a lot of, you know, for a lot of reasons. And, you know, it was, it was like a curiosity for a few minutes. And then it was also just like, how are the, how are they going to pull this off? But by the second half, it was just bad. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was was really difficult to watch. And, um, you know, you just felt bad for all the guys out there. I mean, Philip Lindsay was doing all these direct snaps and calling plays off of his armband. And then he tweaks his knee and, Mm -hmm. you know, he has to come out of the game and they don't believe it's like a long-term injury. And given what the game looked like at, you know, Basically, by halftime, there wasn't really much point in putting Philip Lindsay back in that game. But yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't, it wasn't a good product. It wasn't um, highlighting the quality of play that the NFL holds, you know, the standard that it holds itself to. And um, yeah, it just, it was, it, it was a rough, just a rough week all around. I mean, and it was happening all at the time where, you know, the Niners are going through the stuff and the Ravens, um, you know, the Ravens outbreak and, you know, and then you look, you turn on TV on Thanksgiving and there's 30,000 fans at Jerry World in Dallas mm-hmm. where it's like the pandemic for, doesn't exist at all. But for the you know. Cowboys, for two NFC East teams, not even a good game. Yeah, I I, I feel like maybe you should do some examining about decision making there if that was how you spent your Thanksgiving. But that's, mm-hmm. the, you know, you and yeah. That's another topic. <laughs> I suppose for another time. Let me finish with this. I don't, I don't need them coming into my mentions right now. So. Oh, yeah. Not. I will I will say this. Leaving all that aside, which is impossible, but just for a second to finish up here. I've already tried to preview this game once last week on the podcast with Bill Brinson. It got delayed. There were more COVID tests or more COVID positives, more close contacts removed from the situation. Like you said, J.K. Dobbins uh, came back. Uh, Mark Ingram also came back after testing after being on the COVID list. So we've had guys go through the process and make it all the way back onto the active roster. The Ravens are six and four. I don't know if they're playing for their playoff lives, but already, you know, four games behind the Steelers, um, pretty much playing, I think, for, if not their season, something close to their season. Do they have any hope of winning this game? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, because it's just been such a weird week. It's not like the Steelers have had kind of a normal preparation. They also have had a number of players placed on the COVID list, um, which was kind of a reminder to me that during all of like the screaming and yelling from segments of the Steelers fan base about how the Ravens should have to forfeit this game. And then mm-hmm. within like 48 hours, uh, James Connor and uh, Stefan Tuitt, and I think there were a couple other guys who were placed on the COVID list. Mm-hmm. It was a reminder that nobody is immune from this. But I would say the Steelers do tend to play down to their competition sometimes, but you know, they, it's not like they've been the juggernaut week in and week out. I mean, I think they, they've shown games where they can put up a lot of points. They've shown a lot of games where their defense looks really, really good. And I think they've been kind of really relying on their defense week in and week out. Um, you know, look, it's not like they're going in with a practice squad wide receiver. They do have RG3 as their backup quarterback who, so it's not like they're going to have to completely change their offensive systems uh, when they're going from, when they're losing Lamar Jackson going to RG3. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to say they don't have a chance. I, I, I wouldn't bet on them. That's for sure. But I don't think it's quite the same situation as the Broncos where you knew going into that game, there was no chance they were going to win. It, it just seems tough. I mean, Robert Griffin has not been good for several years now, even given his spot appearances for the Ravens, he's been bad. He was awful with the Browns, although to be fair, Hugh Jackson, uh, had a habit of getting who wasn't awful with the Browns. That's yeah, that's the problem. Um, you know, I, I would like to believe they have a shot, and there's certainly still some talent there, but 
it just seems off the top. I, I, I mean, if, if this is how the Ravens end up missing out in the postseason, do you think they have a right to feel sort of hard done by given the circumstances? Or do you think they have to sit here and just say, hey, like, you know, our coach tested, tested positive and our coach was symptomatic and didn't tell anybody. And this is sort of, you know, we are reaping what we sowed. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it kind of goes back to this thing where it's like, I think we have to throw out the idea of, of fairness and equity this mm-hmm. year because it's it just not, it's just not, it's just not there. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist this year. And I think every team at some point is going to have some sort of reason to grumble. And, you know, I would much rather see this game in week 18 when both teams are fully healthy and you have Lamar Jackson and you have um, kind of your full, your full roster but that's not going to happen. That's not the reality, uh, unfortunately, that we're living in. And, you know, they're going to get to play this game without, you know, they might they might have 16 practice squad players called up this week and they're not going to have their starting quarterback. Um, but that's this is the game that we're getting and we're getting it on Wednesday afternoon, which is going to be weird. But, you know, I hope it doesn't cost them their season. Right. I hope they're able to, you know, rebound, you know, the, the Titans. I, I didn't think the Titans were going to win when they, you know, after their outbreak and they had to, they didn't practice for almost two weeks and they had to go to Buffalo and then they blew the doors off of the bills. So it's certainly possible, but um, it is, it's a tough break, but also, like you said, I mean, they were at fault, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. was not, um, this was not like a blameless situation. Yeah. I, it, it's complicated. I guess it's something I keep coming back yeah. to. In every this situation. whole year is complicated. Yeah, the whole thing. It, it's just, there's no easy answers for anything when it comes to the NFL this year. But I feel like we got some insight from one of the best in the business talking about the NFL. Hopefully next time, Lindsay Jones, we'll have more. Uh, we'll do a fun show more. next time. We'll do a fun show next time. We'll do like a coach draft or something, which I believe is something you did on a recent podcast of yours. Well, we did the Coach Fight Club. Okay. Uh, on our enough. on our podcast on the close athletic enough, football show, like. yeah, where we, yeah, so we didn't we didn't necessarily drop to we, you know, I know that Stan Graziano said I don't want to step on his, <laughs> I don't want to step on his turf there, but you know, I'm sure we, I'm sure we can think of something fun for next time. But you do the athletic football podcast, and of course you do other stuff with the athletic. Yes. So yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at by Lindsay H. Jones and you can, yes, all of our, all of my content is there and you can hear me on the athletic football show podcast with Robert Mays on Thursdays. So we will be recording that, I believe during the Raven Steelers game, which will be, um, which will be kind of fun. So yeah, catch that on, uh, on Thursday. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much, Bill. All right, thanks so much to my friend, Lindsay Jones with The Athletic. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Hopefully, like Lindsay said, we have more football-related topics, less uh, disease and contact tracing-related conversation, but I think a really fascinating story in Denver to talk about, and I think this Steelers-Ravens game, I just want it to happen at this point. I'm just like, I've been preparing for it for over a week now. I'm just waiting for it to happen, but we will see. Hopefully, it happens tomorrow. I hope you guys are doing well. hope you guys had a healthy and happy Thanksgiving. Um, We have more audio coming next week. So thanks so much for listening and more on the way.